0: President Biden's 2024 budget proposal includes $350 million for extending Chicago's Red Line South to 130th Street. And I'll talk with Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis, about how the future for independent physician groups is growing more uncertain.
1: I think this is a scary time, right? It's becoming more expensive. It's becoming harder to recruit doctors. You know, complexities with payers, like insurance companies and government payers you know, it just makes it that much harder to run your business and make a profit, essentially. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, March 13th.
0: Your business isn't an afterthought, so why would you settle for a bank that treats you like one? At Wintrust, small business clients are matched with a personal relationship manager who offers customized solutions and prioritizes their needs and that personal touch works. Last year, Wintrust lent the most to Illinois small businesses through SBA loans, making them the number one SBA lender in the state. Start expecting more from your bank. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash SBA lending. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm joined by Crane's healthcare reporter, Catherine Davis, here to talk about how the future is growing a bit more in some independent physician
1: groups. Tell me about this and and why that is. With all the recent consolidation we've been seeing in the healthcare space, particularly with deals like CVS Health's deal to acquire Oak Street Health and Walgreens getting more into primary care delivery with Village MD. You know, we noticed that we're seeing this consolidation happen and it really made us think, what does this mean for the independent physicians group? the The biggest physicians group here in the Chicago area is Dooley Health and Care. They've long been a really big player but just in the last year they've actually skyrocketed to number one on our annual list of the region's largest physicians groups So Dooley is serving about two point five million patients uh, in the Illinois and sort of northern Indiana region. They have over a thousand physicians on staff and They've outgrown some of these really big name competitors like Advocate Health, you know, formerly Advocate Aurora, and Northwestern Medical Group as well. And with all the consolidation we're seeing, you know, it really puts Duly at a crossroads. Right? I think they're either going to find, you know, someone to buy them. Could be a CVS, right? Could be a big health insurer like United Healthcare. Or they could stay the course as an independent company, but face more competition from some of these bigger players that are expanding their portfolio. So we took a look at you know what the future for Dooley holds. No one really knows, right? Uh, you know, they declined to comment for my story. They say they didn't want to comment on market speculation. But it's a market we're certainly watching closely, um, just as we see deal after deal happen, particularly in the last year. You talked to an expert in, in this
0: area who, who kind of uh was speculating about what this kind of consolidation might mean. What's the general consensus? Is this generally being viewed like this is a bad thing and it's putting independents out of business or forcing them to sell? Or is it a good thing and they're kind of looking forward to this idea of jumping into a bigger pool?
1: So, I think it depends on who you are. For the independent physicians group that's much smaller than Dooley, I think this is a scary time, right? It's becoming more expensive. It's becoming harder to recruit doctors. You know, complexities with payers like insurance companies and government payers, all of that is becoming more complex. And so, when you have these huge competitors, you know, it just makes it that much harder to run your business and make a profit, essentially. If you are a healthcare investor, say you know aries management which is actually the private equity backer of Dooley. this market consolidation is probably what they are looking at as an opportunity they also declined to comment from my story but if they were to sell Dooley right now even for a similar price to the Oak Street deal, around $10 billion or so, that could be a considerable return for them. Like I said, it just depends on your position in the market. If you're trying to run an independent physicians group, I think you're facing a tougher road than maybe you did 20 years ago. But if you're an investor, now is probably the time to make some money.
0: And what about labor? Are generally independent
1: physicians groups faring better than larger healthcare chains and groups? Not necessarily and not usually, I would say. You know, even the really big guys, the Walgreens and the CVSs, they are going to have problems recruiting uh, physicians to work in their Primary care offices, just because we're seeing a nationwide shortage of these types of doctors. Um, But their size also means that they can probably offer more competitive benefits, perhaps, than just a small independent physicians group. You know, there's also, I think, a sense of security, brand recognition that comes with working with one of the bigger players that could be more attractive to, you know, the shrinking group of available physicians
0: which group is at an advantage? I assume it's the larger consolidated groups, but but I could be wrong about that.
1: Yeah, typically, I think CVS is a good example because, you know, their consolidation hasn't just included primary care offerings. They are also the owner of Aetna, which is a huge insurance company in the United States, and The way the experts have explained it to me is that owning both, you know, the insurance part and the care delivery part and the pharmacy and the PBM, owning all of that under the same roof allows for a certain amount of sort of synergy, you know, is what they call it, um, an ability to control their costs and to cut those costs as well. And what this consolidation means for the smaller independent physicians group is just that they will have to work that much harder for insurance contracts. And they'll be fighting with some of the companies who are incentivized to funnel patients back into their own clinics, back to their own doctors. So I think the insurance portion is going to be a really big piece of the puzzle here going forward. And we know that insurance contracts are the most important part of running a physician's office because, you know, most people don't want to pay out of pocket. They are going to pay where their insurance allows them to go. And if that's not the local independent doctor's group, then, you know, you're probably going to avoid it. So, you know, we're talking
0: about independent physicians groups like Dually. And we're talking about these kind of big, um, you know, consolidated groups, which you've, I feel like, talked a lot about some of the bigger groups. But when we're really talking about size, let's put some numbers to that. What does what Dooley's revenue look like?
1: Over the last 10 years or so, Dooley's net revenue has quadrupled to nearly $2 billion, which is pretty significant. They told us that much of their revenue growth had to do with the fact that they've acquired some other regional doctors groups in the area. And as a result, of course, they've added a bunch of new patients, a bunch of new doctors, brick and mortar locations, and that's had a lot to do with the revenue growth on that side. I think it's really interesting to note that last year in 2022, Dooley overcame Advocate Medical Group and Northwestern Medical Group as being the largest physicians group in the Chicago region. You know, for a long time, Dooley was just the largest independent, but now independent or owned by a larger entity, Dooley is the largest, which is, you know, a key reason we're paying such close attention to them and, and what their future prospects look like.
0: So if it does come to pass that, that maybe Dooley is interested in being acquired,
1: given what you just said about their size, who, who would that be? So it could be a number of people, you know, experts were telling me that it could be a large health system like Advocate Health. We know that they are the fifth largest health system in the entire country. So they have deep pockets and I'm assuming would be looking for opportunities to expand their scope. Uh, Acquirers could also include United Health Group, pharmacy retail chains like CVS and Walgreens, and either other physicians groups that are maybe similar to Dooley in size, but just have a market share in a different city or in a different state so i asked all of these different folks you know would you ever consider buying Dooley? most of them either declined to comment or didn't get back to me at all but advocate health uh, actually sort of opened the door to a possible deal saying that quote it's not unusual in today's environment for all providers to be having conversations but there have not been any formal discussions with Dooley. so that sort of really piqued my interest. I think that's a possibility that I'll be watching for and certainly asking about. You could see it making sense just because Advocate has such a presence in this market here in the Chicagoland region. I think the Indiana portfolio of Dooley would be attractive to them as well. So we'll just have to wait and see, but I'll be watching.
0: Yeah. And how big a footprint does Dooley have? Is it mostly just consolidated in the Midwest?
1: Yeah, it is mostly the Chicagoland region, um, mostly in the suburbs, really. They don't have a big city presence. And then like Northwest Indiana, they also own Quincy Medical Group, which is in Southern Illinois and Quincy, Illinois.
0: Well, I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on this, so I'm sure we will revisit this and many other healthcare issues soon enough. Thanks so much, Catherine. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, automaker GM is offering buyouts to most U.S. salaried workers. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Disparities in housing have widened over the last few years due to a conflux of factors. And Chicago is not immune to this national concern. On March 23rd, programming for Cranes Forum Live will include a panel of distinguished leaders to discuss the issues around affordable housing. Speakers include former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, Chicago Housing Commissioner Marissa Novara, and Jim Cunningham from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. You won't want to miss this important conversation. Cranes Forum Live will take place on March 23rd at the Old Post Office Building. Visit- our website to reserve your seat now to learn more visit chicagobusiness.com events and look for crane's forum live
2: this is the crane's daily gist with amy guth
0: president joe biden's 2024 budget proposal includes a 350 million dollar capital grant toward extending chicago's red line south to 130th street Crane's Justin Lawrence noted in reporting that the founding comes just three months after the city council approved the creation of a new tax increment financing district pushed for by Mayor Lori Lightfoot to create $950 million over three decades to help pay for the estimated $3.6 billion project. Lawrence reported that the $350 million is a fraction of the $2.2 billion the city is requesting from the federal government, but if approved, it will add momentum to the feasibility of the project with the city, Chicago Transit Authority, and Biden administration making investments. The project will eventually rely on over $2.2 billion in funding from the federal government, that according to documents maintained by the Department of Transportation. Lawrence also reported that the 5.6 mile extension plan includes four new stations to be located at 103rd Street, 111th Street, Michigan Avenue between 115th and 116th Streets, and a new 130th Street Terminal. The new TIF will capture future property tax growth within portions of five wards to pay for land acquisition and other costs involved in the project. While the Biden administration has prioritized the project, the $350 million grant must still be approved by Congress, including a GOP-led House. After sitting empty for more than five years, the former Apple store on North Michigan Avenue has finally landed a tenant, retailer H&M, which is moving there from its current home just four blocks north. Crane's Albie Galloon reported, citing people with knowledge of the transaction, that H&M has agreed to lease most of the four-story building at 679 North Michigan, noting that it's one of the biggest retail leases signed on the Mag Mile in the past few years a deal that Galoon says is both negative and positive for the shopping strip. Galoon noted that the good news is that H&M is staying on the Mag Mile, unlike many other retailers who've left the area. But he also noted that it's negative because H&M is cutting its space roughly in half through the move. The chain currently occupies about 60,000 square feet at 840 North Michigan across from Water Tower Place, and it'll shrink down to about 30,000 square feet in the Apple Building, resulting in a net increase in the Mag Mile's vacancy rate, which increased dramatically after the pandemic arrived and is currently hovering around 29 percent. Apple opened its store at 679 North Michigan in 1997, but the property has been vacant since 2017 when the company moved to their bigger flagship store on the Chicago River. H&M had been pursuing the former Gap building at 555 North Michigan for its new store, but that option disappeared when Canadian retail chain Aritzia leased that property. Galoon also noted that H&M's departure will leave a big hole at 840 North Michigan, an 87,000-square-foot building owned by Acadia Realty Trust, a real estate investment trust based in Rye, New York. Verizon occupies the other 27,000 square feet in that building. Crane Steve Daniels reported that Governor J.B. Pritzker is taking dramatic steps to overhaul the Illinois Commerce Commission, with chair Carrie Zaluski leaving the agency and Doug Scott, a former ICC chairman and key energy advisor to Pritzker, taking over. In addition, Daniels also reported two other new commissioners will join. Ethan Kembrell, the last remaining member named by former Governor Bruce Rauner, is not being reappointed following the recent expiration of his term. In his place will be Conrad Reddick, a former energy attorney with the City of Chicago. And filling a seat that's been open for months is Stacey Paradis, Executive Director of the Midwest Energy Efficiency Alliance. Daniels noted in reporting that Doug Scott's new role is a thunderbolt for utilities seeking unprecedented rate hikes before the commission. Scott is a former state house member from Rockford and also served as mayor of that city. He was chairman of the ICC under Governor Pat Quinn from 2011 to 2015 when Quinn was at war with ComEd over the formula rate law that was enacted in a veto override effort led by former House Speaker Michael Madigan. As ICC chair, Scott interpreted the 2011 law in ways ComEd didn't like, and Madigan led the passage of separate statutes, reversing the ICC interpretations under Scott. Daniels noted that the commission has taken on a far more important role than usual, as it must act on record rate hike requests by ComEd, NICOR gas, which serves most of the Chicago suburbs, and People's Gas, which delivers natural gas in the city. It must also implement many parts of Pritzker's signature climate and and Equitable Jobs Act, which requires the phase out of coal and natural gas in the state's power generation industry by 2045. And with the three new appointments Daniels noted, Pritzker now has taken firm control of the regulatory body, having appointed all five of its members. Scott, Reddick, and Ann McCabe, a recent appointee, are all viewed as solidly pro-consumer commissioners. And Daniels also noted, with these moves, Pritzker demonstrates how high the stakes are for making the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act work. Not only are there concerns being voiced openly that the law could help put reliability at risk during high-demand periods, but ComEd's $1.5 billion rate hike request over the next four years threatens to make electricity increasingly unaffordable for lower-income households. General Motors said it will offer buyouts to most of its U.S. salaried workers as it works to cut $2 billion in costs over the next two years. Voluntary severance packages will be offered to U.S. workers who have been with the company for at least five years and global executives with at least two years with the company. That according to a memo from CEO Mary Barra to workers on Thursday. The company has a distribution center in Bolingbrook with 116 workers, and GM says it has a total of 270 workers in Illinois overall. Barris said in the memo, which was obtained by Crane's sister publication Automotive News and confirmed by GM, that the buyouts are, quote, designed to accelerate attrition in the U.S. A GM spokesperson said in an emailed statement, quote, this voluntary program offers eligible employees an opportunity to make a career change or retire earlier. We're offering three packages based on level and service to the company. GM said workers have until March 24th to consider the offer, and those who accept will leave the company by June 30th. Non-executives who take the deal would receive one month of pay for each year with the company up to a maximum of 12 months, along with Cobra health insurance coverage, a prorated performance bonus, and outplacement services. Executives who take the deal are eligible to receive base salary, incentives, as well as also Cobra and outplacement services. Automotive News noted that the buyouts are expected to cost GM up to $1.5 billion in pre-tax worker separation costs, Substantially all of which will be cash-based and as much as $300 million in pre-tax non-cash pension curtailment charges, the automaker said Thursday in a regulatory filing. The final cost will depend on how many workers accept the buyout offer, GM said, adding that most of the expenses would be incurred in the first half of the year. Automotive News also noted that the buyouts come roughly a week after GM cut what it called a small number of salary jobs for performance reasons. At the end of 2022, GM had roughly 81,000 salaried workers, including 58,000 in the U.S., that according to a federal regulatory filing. Barra said on an earnings call in January that the automaker was not planning layoffs as part of its $2 billion in cost cuts. GM did not say how many workers it wants to accept the voluntary separation offer, but Barra, in her Thursday memo, noted that, quote, taking this step now will help avoid the potential for involuntary actions. GM's effort to reduce the cost of its salaried workforce comes as the company prepares to negotiate new contracts later this year with the UAW and Canada's Unifor Union covering hourly workers. UAW officials have signaled that they will be pushing for higher pay from the the Detroit Three, which have posted sizable profits in recent years. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.
2: Crane's Audio Studio presents Four
0: Star Stories. The Felonious Adventures of a Chicago
1: Mole. You could drop me in any country in the world, I'll be a millionaire in six months. Anywhere.
2: That's quite a statement. A fact. Yeah. John Thomas has stories. Lots of them. But you have to ask, how much of what he says is real? Look, John is a narcissistic egomaniac. I mean... There's just no better way to describe it. I'm Albie Galoon, and when I began on the real estate beat at Cranes two decades ago, I began hearing the name John Thomas a lot.
1: He's like a cat with nine lives.
2: Thomas was making his name in Chicago real estate. He had a brash New York swagger and a 350 pound frame that got him noticed. Were you a good football player? I, was, I used to bench 590 pounds. Come on. That's a fact. You've already one trip to prison by working as an informant for federal prosecutors. But Thomas managed to wind up behind bars anyway. Did that change his ways? He's the kind of guy where
1: lawyers say, man, if this guy flew straight, he would really be something.
2: These are the felonious adventures of a Chicago mole, told in four chapters.
1: Some people just have the
2: grift in them. They can't get it out of them. They were born with it. I mean, they were stealing penny candies when they were... You know, six years old. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Four Star Stories from Crane's Audio Studio.
1: So I walk outside, and there's ten FBI agents wearing fucking blazers around my car. I said, oh my God! I felt my. <laughs> I said, "What did I do this time?" They said, "Nothing." I said, "Can I go home?" I said, "Today, you can."